Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning everyone, how are you this morning? Are you doing well? I feel like we've already received from God this morning. What a great thought, isn't it? Letting go. And how many of you have those challenges in your life? Put your hand up. I think we all do. And uh, that's a great, great thought. Hey, it's fantastic to be here with you again. And thank you for the invitation. It's always a, an incredible privilege. And I feel very humbled um, to be on some of the platforms that I've been in over the years, which is uh, just the grace of God. How many of you know that? It's the grace of God upon our lives, and we appreciate that. Hey, I just so enjoyed uh, just the meeting so far. I just really sense the presence of God here this morning. And I want to just commend you as leaders, um, you know, Chad and Jade. I just want to commend you because you make room for the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of churches these days that are becoming organizations. And they have this way of just ushering the Holy Spirit out. How many of you know we need the Holy Spirit? And uh, I just sense there's a real hunger in this place to keep the Holy Spirit here. Hey, don't depart from us. And, and you could just sense the Spirit of God here this morning. I'm so appreciative to be in a church like that. Also, to make room for the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, you know, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us to encourage us and to help us along the way. And I'm so glad that this church embraces that. The other thing that's fantastic is the family atmosphere. What a great thing, you know, to, to have. And just to see the little kids this morning. And you know where, where church celebrates family, that's where people get healed. People get healed when they belong. You know, we, we try, and, try and get people to behave before they belong. Aren't you glad that God wants you to belong before you behave? That's, that's the message of grace. Aren't you? I, I came into church, I wasn't behaving. But God let me belong. And um, I, I don't know if we really realize the power of that. So many people that are going to come through these doors and have already come through these doors, their behavior doesn't match up to what we think. But if that was the criteria, there wouldn't be any hope for any of us. But God allows us to belong, to be connected. He loves us before we even behave. And, and uh just keep that family atmosphere. There are so many people that don't have families today. There's so many dysfunctional families today. We see the divorce rate is one in two. Getting worse today, they're building more one-bedroom apartments um, than ever before because people can't live with each other. We're really becoming the Seinfeld generation. Um, I, I love Seinfeld. I started out looking like John Travolta. I'm starting to look like George Constanza. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Everything's happening, you know, everything. But if you study the, um, the comedies of the, you know, the 80s and the 90s, you know, Frasier and, and uh, Friends, dysfunctional. You know, if you ever study Frasier, you'll see these two psychiatrists. I wasn't going to say any of this, but anyway, we're on, see what just God does. And here's these two psychiatrists, intellectuals, and uh, both divorced. One of them lives, Fraser lives with his dad, and his dad's got this old armchair. And uh, Fraser hates it because it messes up his world. 
What he doesn't understand is this old armchair represents old values. And he's trying to hold on to them. You know, people today, they, they need to belong. And we are becoming such a disenfranchised, dysfunctional society that the church, like never before, has a huge, massive role to pay, play in our communities. And so I really just appreciate the family spirit. Never, ever lose that. Don't sacrifice that. Keep that family spirit. And the other thing is I just love the generational representation. Uh, the, the, the gentleman that was singing that last song, Sir, what is your name? John. Everybody's called John. We've got a bit of a story. About that. <laughs> most of my friends, most of my really close friends are all called John. It's just a miracle. Um, can I ask how old you are? Can, is, 60s, he had to think about it. He goes, oh, I'm not really sure. I just want to commend you for letting him sing. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, no, can I, can I say that? Because, and, and he's got a good voice. He, he actually has, hasn't he? So is Malcolm. Where's, where's Malcolm? Is, where is he? Yeah, mate, you did all right too this morning. I thought, wow. And, uh. Because I was in a band called Nicky and the Boys, and you know I've still got it. They just don't won't let me sing anywhere. Um, but I just want to commend you as a church, and, and what a great song for him to sing. I mean, he's got the runs on the board. You know, if anybody can sing those words, God, you've been good. God, you are good. All these years of my life, isn't it great to get to that age and be able to sing that? So I, I just want to commend you that you're not afraid to have generational representation. In a lot of churches today, what's happening is, and I see this, in a lot of churches what's happening is they're, they're just focusing on one or two generations. But how many of you know God is a generational God? And if you're going to see true healing and true restoration, and you're going to see the love of God, because we need each other and we need every generation. You know, we, my focus now, we've become grandparents and, uh, you know, I love it. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, but we need grandparents in the church, just like we do in families. And they've got so much to give. And I just want to commend you that you haven't just gone, well, let's just go with the trend. Uh, but you've gone with what the Bible says, which is absolutely awesome. So I think you should give John a big hand and all you guys and your music team. So that's great. <coughs> So this morning, I, I just want to talk about um, the church. Is that okay? Um, because, you know, I, I think one of the dangers is that, that's happening in our communities is that we're losing the purpose of the church. And in a very secular and very humanistic society that we live in, and I better be careful what I'm saying this morning because I'm tempted to make some, some other observations and I won't, um, but... Um, in, in the secular humanistic society that we live in and there are political moves to remove the church out of our society. That would be one of the most tragic, harmful things to our communities because in removing the church you remove God and that's what secularism is about. But I want to just talk about three main functions of the church. Is that okay? Just to help you now... I'm generalizing today because this is just a huge subject and you might say there's more than three functions of the church and there is. 
But I just want to highlight three pillars that I believe are absolutely important for us to understand. And I, and I want to say this because um, you are a strategic um, and important church to this community. Um, I don't want you to underestimate the value of who you are as a people, as a community, and as a church to this community and beyond. Because sometimes I think when you live with each other, you become familiar with each other. And there's a danger about familiarity because what happens is you lose the appreciation of each other. And you lose the appreciation of what God is actually doing through this community. So today, in sharing these three thoughts, I really pray that will help you to understand um, you know, what your purpose is and what God is going to do through you. Is that okay? So I think we've got yep, three main functions of the church. So I'm going to go through these things pretty quickly. I'm going to put them up on the board pretty quickly so you can have a look at them. And like I said, this is a general overview. There's many, many other things the church does, but these are three strong pillars. Number one, the church is to carry a restorative spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ. Did you know he's a restorer? And we're going to look at that individually. We're going to look at these three things. The second thing is that God wants to raise you up. After you've been restored, God wants to raise you up. He wants to equip you. He wants to empower you to purpose. And um, it's so important that we do that. And part of the raising up is about maturing you. How many of you like that word? And how many of you know it takes, it's a process. You know, I'm, I'm 62 this year and I'm sort of thinking to myself, when am I going to get it? Do you know what I mean? I think there's some things in my life that's just taken me ages. And I've been a bit of a late bloomer, if I'm honest, because there were some things in my life that I really had a hard time working through. And it sort of took me ages to, to sort of grow up. Can anybody relate to that? Who's still on the journey? Your age, everybody's all the wives are bumping their husbands. Age has got nothing to do with maturity. You can be, I've met 70 and 80 year olds and they're still not mature. Because it's a, because it's a decision you make based on how you respond to God's truth in your life. And so it's a journey and it's a big challenge for a church to understand that process. The raising up, we love the restorative spirit of God, but can I say this to you? God is a builder. If you study scripture, it says this. Jesus never says, I've come to bless my church. He said, I came to build my church. And if you look at so many scriptures in, in, in the Bible, Jesus, God is a builder. He wants to build us. He wants to build maturity because when he builds maturity, he will build confidence and authority in your life for his purpose. But if you don't allow yourself to become mature, my grandson is five years old when he was about two years old. He used to love cars. He used to stop in the middle of when we used to take him for walks and, you know, go broom broom. You know, he loved cars. And as much as I love him, I love him to bits. He can have anything he wants. And so he used to sit in my car and he used to get the steering wheel and go broom 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 broom. But do you think he ever got the keys? I never gave him the keys. Because as much as I loved him, he didn't have the maturity. I just wonder if God doesn't give us the keys to some of the things in our life because we're not mature enough to handle it. 
And so maturity is a huge thing which we struggle in our church, but it's part of the process of what the church is about. The third thing is that God wants to release us into purpose. And, uh, you know, these three things are absolutely vital in a church community if you're going to grow a healthy community that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Word, word that will bring change to the community. And if the church doesn't allow itself to go through these three processes, it really just becomes an organisation that meets together on a Sunday and just enjoys each other's company and has church. And how many of you know we're, more, we're much more than that? So is it okay to look at these three things today? Is that okay? Let's go on a bit of a journey and let's look at the first word, which is to restore. So the church is a little bit like a hospital. Because when we come into God's family, we are broken. How many of you can you relate to that? How many of you came in and you were broken, you were wounded? There was disappointment, discouragement, all sorts of things like that. But God wants to redeem us, he wants to recover us, and he wants to restore us. Psalm uh, 23 verse 3 says, He restores my soul. And aren't you glad that God does that? The soul is made up of your mind your emotions, and your will. The Holy Spirit is a master surgeon. And I don't know about you, but he starts to renew your mind. Um, you know, when I came into church life, man, I had so many negative experiences around me that most of the way I thought was very, very negatively. And it, and it actually uh, displayed or manifested itself through life. But when the Holy Spirit came into my life at the age of 11, he began to restore my mind. He began to work on my emotional life and he began to work on my will. Let me say this to you. The way you think and the way you feel determines the way you act. So if you think wrong and you feel wrong, your will is subject to those two negativities. That's why God restores your mind. He heals your emotions. So your will is not subject to making wrong decisions. He restores my soul. Aren't you glad about that? You know, Isaiah 61, and we sang about it in one of the songs this morning. Isaiah 61 says, He came to heal the brokenhearted. God loves to bring restoration to the brokenhearted. I don't know if you've ever met people or you've ever had a broken heart. Where life is just a constant disappointment. Where life is a constant discouragement. Where life is a place of disillusionment. And when you get to that point, you disconnect. Brokenhearted people are disconnected people. That's why the church, it is vital for the church to keep that family spirit so that we can connect. And what does God do? He comes and not only does he heal the broken heart, but he sets the captives free, the Bible says. And he gives us beauty instead of ashes. That's the restoring work of Jesus Christ. And then I love Matthew chapter 11 to 28. I don't have all those scriptures uh, on the board, but Matthew 11, 28, listen to this, says, come to me. He is the master restorer. Come to me, all you that are weary and you're burdened. You're burdened by life and sin. You're burdened by making the wrong decisions, living the wrong way. And this is what he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Did you know that the word restoration, half of it is rest? Do you know when people come into church, many times they just need to rest. 
That's why it's like a hospital. People come in here, and many times, and I've experienced this, let me tell you, as a pastor, one of the greatest joys that you can experience as a pastor is to see broken-hearted people come in, people that are on the scrap heap of life, people that have lost their way, lost their dreams, lost their hope, and they come in, and they, get, they have an encounter with God. They have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Their personal savior. They have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden... It's like the, the, the floodgates of their soul opens up. And for many people, I've had people come to church the first time and for the sixth, seven, eighth week, they just cry. Do you know why? Their soul is resting. I've had so many people come into church and say, Pastor, every time I come to church, I just sit during the worship and I, I, just, I just find myself crying. I thought, gee, we're not that bad. Surely the church isn't that bad. But what was happening, their soul was at rest. Their soul is getting transformed. That is the power of restoration. And guess what? We're all part of that restoration. The Holy Spirit uses you and me to help in the restoration of people. It's vital don't, you know, can I just say this, you know, some people, and I'm sure there's people in this church, and please don't hate me about this comment, but sometimes we have our favorite seat, don't we? We, we just like, this is my seat. Uh, I, I, was born, I was born again in, in a, an Italian evangelical church, and there was one guy, uh, and he, he, that was his seat. It was the second row. Uh, on an aisle, and no one was allowed to sit in that seat. And he would, everybody knew about it, you know. But I just, but I just wonder sometimes, uh, uh, just as an experiment, would it be good sometimes just sit in a different seat? Because you, you don't know who God's, there you go. <laughs> Your pastor's going, thanks, there, you're just being preaching to me. See? He's obedient, there you go. Because, you know, you just don't know who God's going to bring to sit next to you. You don't know. And I wonder if God can use you in that context to maybe reach out to that person. You know, in, in the church we pastored in Melbourne, we had, this, we had this sort of thing that we did. We tried to embrace it as a cultural value in our church. We used to say, Pastor, your road. Pastor, your road. Don't wait just for the pastoral team to do it. You pastor your road. Because you don't know who the Holy Spirit's going to come and sit next to you. And maybe you should say to them, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if, because I've seen this happen, that the Holy Spirit brings somebody. You know, we had a lady in our church and uh, she had a brain tumor. And um, God miraculously took her through a process where she was healed of this brain tumor. But it just so happened that this particular day when she sat in this particular seat, that the lady in front of her, who had just happened to come for the first time, had just been diagnosed that week with brain tumour. And when the, past, when, they, when the pastoral team asked me to come and pray for her, I came and prayed and I realised that sitting right behind her was this lady that's just been healed from this, this tumour of the brain. Guess who I got to pray for her? As they started talking, guess what happened? She goes, um, what doctor are you seeing? She goes, I'm seeing this doctor. She goes, that's the same doctor that I saw. Now, is that a coincidence or is that a God incident? See, God uses the body 
to minister to one another to bring restoration. Now I know that that's not limited to just this room. And I want to be careful in the context of that. But can I just say, and I've seen this happen so many times where people, God sometimes, you know, it's like he leads people to sit in certain places. Some of our people started praying, God, where do you want me to sit? It was amazing. Because God wants to move. You know, um, about seven years ago, we're pastoring, it was 2012, we, we went to Melbourne to pastor this broken church. It was, it was shattered. It used to be one of the gateway churches, or one of the very significant churches in our movement, but it had gone down to 40 people. And that had a split, 20 went one way, 20 went another way. And they asked me, would I be interested in pastoring this church? Well, my first response was, no, <laughs> no way. And um, my wife, who um, seems to be, uh, I'm the one who's recognized as a prophetic ministry. And, you know, I say to her, well, God just doesn't speak to you. You know what I mean? But she's the one that goes, no, this is the church that we need to take. It was just, anyway, it's a long story in itself. Anyway, we came to this church. And one of the first things we did is we, we brought these two groups back together. God began to restore the church. In the journey of this church, you know, every week people were coming. Different people were coming from different backgrounds. And God began to build the church. But as people came in, they were so broken. And um, about two years in the journey, we, we got this great youth uh, children's pastor. And her name was Marie. And one of her boys had just lost it. He had so gone away from God. He'd gone through a divorce. He was broken. He was shattered. His mother started telling him about the church. And so he started to come and just sit in the back seats. You know, he started to come and sit in the edges of the church. And um, our youth pastor, who's now become the senior pastor of the church, and that's another great story, and uh, he's an evangelist. And he began to have coffee with this young man. And one day he said to me, he said, Pastor Nick, um, I know this isn't how we, we do things. Um, you know, we were short of musicians. You know, some weeks we hardly had any musicians. My wife actually, you know, started playing the piano again and things like that. She said, he said to me, he goes, Nathan, this young man, said, do you think we could, he plays the guitar, could we get him to just fill in for a Sunday? Now, he didn't meet all the requirements. How many of you know God, Jesus, healed on a Sunday? See, if someone is taking a step towards Jesus, don't get pharisaical with it. Don't try and put your own stuff on it. And Charles's heart was so much about, hey, we want to see this, this young man wonder Jesus. He said, do you think we can put him up to play? His behavior wasn't right. And I'll never forget because we had this, this auditorium and on one side we had glass. And so you could see people sort of walk you know, in and out and stuff like that, which was a bit distracting. Um, but something happened to him. That morning when he came and he played, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He married to a beautiful girl. They've just had a daughter. And now he's one of our campus pastors. And he's on our preaching team. 
Can you believe that? But that is the power of Jesus Christ. And that is why the church is vital. And if you heard what Nathan was saying, and the reason I, I hadn't heard this for, for a while, but just as I was putting this together, I remembered this testimony. And, you know, in his journey, it was the Spirit of God that got a hold of him, but it was the body, the family that prayed with him, walked with him, forgave him. He had hurt a lot of people. And in that process of the church, he found total healing in Jesus Christ. And today when you see him, you see him preach, you see him with his daughter, you see him with his wife, you can see the incredible restorative power of Jesus Christ through the church. Come on, give God another big hand of praise. And that's, and you know what? This church carries that spirit. This church carries that spirit. You need to understand the importance of, of what you carry. Let me quickly get on to the other subject because I should be finishing. But can you give me another 10 minutes? Is that okay? Let's just look at number two, which is raising up. Now, the raising up, like I said before, is about maturity. It's about discipleship. But I deliberately use this word raising up because I want us to understand the context of um, how God and the Spirit of God raises people up. Do you know, as a young leader... I made, um, and, and you know, I don't think I set out to make mistakes, but you know, I was young and, and you get caught up in trends and everything like that, and you're also limited in your understanding about how God wants to grow people and disciple people. And um, you know, I, in the past, and it wasn't until I was about 50 that I, that I had this huge shift about how we develop people, how we raise them up. And to me, what I used to do, one of the things I used to do is I used to uh, disciple people to ministry. So to, it was like a performance thing. That I discipled them to how to preach. I discipled people on um, how to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me about, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago and started speaking to me and saying, Nick, I never came to give people ministry and ministry in its abundance. I, gave, I came to give people life and life in its abundance. Discipleship is about raising people up to live life. Not to just principles and patterns of how to preach and how to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, I used to, um, and it was all good intent. I used to put through people through courses, discipleship courses, and take them through process. Now, can I say that there's nothing wrong with that? And I still do that today. But there's some fundamental things that I had to learn, and I think there's been a big shift back to these fundamentals, which I want to touch on very, very quickly. The reason I use the word raising up, and if you can see, I've used the word home, because the biblical culture is the Bible is written in a relational, in a relational context. We call God Father. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he never said, pray to God. He said, pray to your Father. Jesus is known as the Son. Uh, the Bible refers that we're to refer to one another as brothers and sisters and actually uh, greet each other with affection. The Bible talks a lot about family. The Bible talks a lot about us being the children of God. So it's written in a relational context, which is absolutely important. The Bible talks about covenant not about contractual relationships. 
You know, one of the reasons that, that we have so much crisis in relationship in the world today is because we really do not understand covenant relationships. We have contractual relationships. Most of the weddings that our people today will young people when they get married, they, ha- they do not have any understanding about covenantal marriage. They have contractual thinking. That's why you can get out of it. You know, one of the things we do when we, we try and take people through counselling, um, when they get married, one of the things we do is we say to them, you're not entering into a, a contract because contracts are negotiated. You can negotiate yourself in or out of a contract. You can't do that with covenant. But we don't have that teaching today. We've lost that in our communities, and it's no wonder that we have such struggle in our relationships. But the Bible is written in a covenantal, uh, in covenantal principles. And here's the other thing about discipleship. Discipleship is about addressing some discipline. But the heartbeat of discipleship is surrender. You cannot enter into relationship and discipleship if you don't have a surrendered heart. I don't know how many of you have ever tried going on a diet. Put your hand up if you've ever gone on a diet. Who Put your hand up if you're still on a diet. My wife, about, I think, four or five years ago, she put us on this diet, and I did not want to go into it because I had, did not have a surrendered attitude. I just had a disciplinary focus. And I don't know about you, but disciplinary things are like the law. But a surrendered attitude's more about love. So she bought this, she, she got hooked into this thing where you had to take powders to substitute meals. So we got the chocolate powder. She spent 300 bucks on this powder. Now, nobody told me that, you know, you weren't allowed to have this powder with milk because I was making chocolate milkshakes. I was putting on weight, do you know what I mean? And the thing is, this powder was like a cement. You drink it and it'd just be like a, it'd just become like a concrete slab right here. And it, it, was, it was terrible. Now, I fought against it because I approached it from a disciplinary mindset instead of a surrendered heart. Whenever I've gone on a diet and I've surrendered because I've wanted to go on it, something different has happened. Discipleship is not primarily about discipline. It is about the surrender of your heart. So when Jesus comes and he puts his hand upon you, he doesn't, the Holy Spirit does not force his hand to stay on you. You have to invite him in. What? This is, this, this is the Holy Spirit. This is the Son of God. He asks for permission to shape you. In Jeremiah, he takes Jeremiah down to the potter's house and he says, hey, Jeremiah, have a look at this pot of forming this piece of clay. And he says to Jeremiah, I would that my people would allow me to shape their lives. So discipleship is not putting people just in a room and trying to discipline them and trying to correct their behavior. It is a transformation of the surrender of their heart. That's why it's relational based. And if you read, we get a picture of this. I'm going to have to close because also I'm going to go on and on. But we get a picture of this. And this is why I talk about that the church has to be like a home. Because we have to understand that the picture that God is giving us about, you know, is about raising up a child in a home. 
That's the context of discipleship according to Scripture. That's why I loved all these children being out the front here because what are you doing? You're raising him up in this home to follow Jesus Christ. And we get this picture in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, when, when they went to celebrate the Passover. Can I quickly read this to you? It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover when he was 12 years old, which is very significant. Um, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. These are bad parents. Thinking he, listen to this, thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Are you kidding me? You know, talk about, what, what's the, the movie franchise that came out, you know, um, Home Alone? These parents were shocking. Home Alone came out in biblical times. Then they began looking for him. This is after a day. Listen to this. They began looking for him amongst their relative and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him. <laughs> what is this all about? Were Jesus' parents bad parents? Or was there something in the fiber of the community that a child was raised up by a village, by a family? That discipleship is so relationally based that it's not just by putting them through a course, but the culture of the church must be that of a family that raises people up in the context of a family spirit. How different would that be instead of putting people just through courses, which I think is part of the process. But all of us are responsible for discipleship. And isn't it God's way? Because think about it. You know, in discipleship, discipleship is not just about being in a family, but it's also generational. Did you know there's so many older people here that can help people on their journey because of your own experience that you've had in your journey? That's why everybody is valuable in the kingdom of God and in the church. Can you give me an amen to that? Every single one of us. Jesus was raised not just by his parents. You know, Meredith's culture, if you talk to Meredith, she comes from a little place called Melrose, three and a half hours out of Adelaide. There's only 400 people in the town. But if you ask Meredith who raised it, it wasn't just her mum and dad. It was her grandparents. Meredith, you know, she's, she's got this garden at home, tomatoes, she's got everything. And she has made so much relish this year, it's not funny. We've actually run out of cans. That's another story. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. But where did she learn that from? She learned that from her grandmother. It wasn't just her grandparents that raised her. It was her Auntie Margaret. Auntie Margaret, at a very young age, had a stroke. And she wasn't able to get married, but she, she poured herself into the children. See, the culture of the family, if you, if you really know who Meredith is, you'll see these people ooze out of her. That is the content of discipleship 
in a church. What we should see when somebody comes in. Nathan, what we see today is not just his parents that have discipled him, but we see the people that have invested in his life, that have prayed with him and walked with him. It oozes out of him because it's the whole church that raises up a person. Wouldn't that change our culture? Do you know, I was, when I was seven years old, my parents took me to Italy. I was born here in Australia. Lived with my grandparents on my father's side. My, my parents, my father had 10 children. My father's side. My mother's side had 12. They only had one, me. I was born, they looked at me and they said, perfect, we don't need any more. <laughs> You're looking at perfection. Through the eyes of grace. <laughs> And three of the eyes of the love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he sees perfection. Isn't that amazing? Because of Jesus. And um, I'll never forget, we were there for nine months. I'd never experienced the richness of that culture of the family. I remember doing harvest time. My, my grandfather had six boys and four girls. And harvest times, eight of the kids came because two of them lived away. And it was, everybody pitched in. And I was, I was made to feel like I was the most special kid on the block. Uh, I remember one time which impacted my life so profoundly. On one occasion we had to go, Grandpa had to go and buy, he wanted to buy some more cattle. But they only had one horse. And Grandpa was getting old. My grandfather was getting old and so he would ride the horse. But I so wanted to go. My little lad, I'm only about, I think I was about eight then, and I wasn't going to be able to make the distance. And so my father said, you can't come because we can't carry you. You're going to get tired. Well, I let my grandfather know, didn't I? And my grandfather said, no, he's coming. And this is what happened. My grandfather put me on the horse and he walked that horse all the way there and all the way back. What do you think that did to me? What do you think was the impact that happened on my life? When we left Italy because of circumstances and we were going to stay but things didn't quite go the way they, my parents had planned. We came back. You know, for about two years I grieved. It wasn't Italy I grieved. It was the culture of the family. And it's so vital. Can I say this? People today that come into our churches, let me tell you this, if you just put them in courses, if you just sit them down and try to teach them how to do the ABCs, you're not going to transform their heart. You're not going to raise them up in a mature way. You're just going to intellectually stimulate them. That's why the church must understand the culture of how the Bible talks about discipleship. The second thing, very quickly, is if you have a look, is a holistic approach. Like I said, I used to just try and build people spiritually, but how many of you know that we're more than spirit? We're body, soul, and spirit. Actually, if you read on in this passage, it talks about Jesus. And in, in um, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, this is what it says about Jesus. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor before God and men. If we truly understand discipleship, that we are not discipling to ministry, but we are discipling to life that we're not discipling just to one facet, but we are discipling to a holistic approach. Let me tell you this, not only will we bring people to a greater sense of maturity, but they will be mature 
in all areas and aspects of their life. And that's how God wants us to be. He wants us to have confidence so we can have authority. So the third thing is so that we can be released and bring hope to our communities. Is that okay today? Come on, would you stand to your feet with me? Now, this is what I sense in God. I sense that there's a very, very strong restorative spirit in this house. Would you agree with that? How many of you would agree with that? I'm just going to grab a drink if that's all right, really quickly. I believe it's so important that you realize the importance of creating a culture which you already have a culture of family that will help develop and disciple people not to ministry but to life and that every one of us in this church can play a part in that as God brings you to certain people in your world. How many of you would like to be involved in that? Do you know it means? That's why the Bible talks about, hey, you older ladies, help the younger ladies. What, what is that? That's about a family culture. There is a world out there that is shattered and broken. They need hope and they want to come to a place where they belong, where they feel loved, where they can be restored. But you know what? Where they can also be raised up for the purpose of God in their life. And if that's you today, we're going to do two things. Every eye closed just for a moment. If you today are here for the first time and you know that, hey, pastor, I need restoration. Pastor, I'm here. I'm just visiting. Pastor, I, I've, I've just been coming to church for a short time or I've been invited and I know that I need God's love to restore me. I can sense that this is a place where God's Spirit is. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand for me? I just want to pray for you very, very quickly, if that's you. If there's anybody here like that, I really want to give you this opportunity to pray for you to be able to do that. Okay. It's all good. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, everybody, just praying just for a minute. If there's anybody else, just to, if you just want to open up your heart, I'm going to pray for this lady in just a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you for this lady, for her response in her heart. I thank you, God, today. I thank you that you love her so much, that, God, you are going to just pour out your love upon her, that, Lord, she can start this, this journey of restoration, that you can bring her to this place of hope, this place where, Father, she can be healed, where she can be transformed, where her mind can be renewed, her soul can be restored. I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, and I thank you for her journey in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Now, the rest of us, can I just get us to lift our hands and say, God, help us to be a church that raises people up. Lord, I want to be counted. I want to be in. And you might just play a part. You might just be part of the jigsaw puzzle. But you know what? If you can grab a hold of this, remember, this is not about just disciplines. People need to be loved and they need to have conversations where you can help them to become mature in the things 
of God. Father, right now, I just thank you. There's, a, there's something new that I believe is going to happen in this church. Lord, I believe they're right. They're hungry for it. Lord, I, I believe they're ready for it. I, Lord, I believe they've even been doing it. But I just see a greater expanse. I see something deeper. I see something wider. I see just a, a family of God gathering around people. I don't see one person, but I see groups of people around one person bringing them and helping them to be raised up in God's house that they can be released in purpose. Father, I believe there's a new awareness. There's going to be uh, literally an awakeness, Father, of being responsible and saying, God, I want to respond to the ability that you have given me to nurture this person that you've brought into my world to help them with the experiences that I've been through, whether they be physical, emotional, spiritual or relational or financial. Father, we want to help them to raise them up to become everything that you have planned them to be and purposed them to be. We thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. May God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.